This is the Tornado Trackers Podcast. The Tornado Trackers are storm chasers Jeremy Heyman, Jeff Mangum, and me, Gabe Cox. Hey, I'm Jeremy. I'm Gabe. And I'm Jeff. Welcome to the Tornado Trackers podcast. We're so happy to have y'all here with us. This is a podcast about storm chasing, severe weather, and just the three best friends who are out there doing it, the Tornado Trackers. That's us. Uh, We are three, uh, not blood brothers, but Tornado brothers. And we're out on the web everywhere. Maybe you've seen our footage somewhere. Maybe that's how you got here. I don't know how you got here, but we're very happy that you're here. Um, Stoked today for our show. We have a fabulous guest um, but off the top, um, I know we maybe had a couple things to talk about. Jeff, you had a secret surprise of some sort. I'm dying to know. What do you <laughs> Man, want to tell us? Not, not too surprising. Um, You've hyped it now. I have hyped it. I, I was just on a local news station with a, um, uh, a special on some of the analogs. So kind of comparing what the atmosphere looks like in 2021 with 2011. And, we, you know, if you're a weather geek, you've been looking at a lot of that, seeing from severe weather that some similarities are shown there. But one of the things that stood out to me was here in Austin, Texas. That's the year we had just a crazy amount of fires. Yeah. You guys remember that? Oh, my uh, gosh. I, I remember yeah. walking outside my house and you could see four just looming clouds like of smoke direction. in every direction yeah, yeah. and just being surrounded and yeah. I, had I just, just I had moved, forgotten about those i had just moved to austin my parents had helped me move down and they were like where did we just move our son it's like <laughs> welcome the, to hell the yeah. fifth <laughs> ring of hell yeah exactly. <laughs> well i just found it to be really interesting because the analogs keep talking about tornadoes and how 2011 was such an insane historic mm. year but for the Austin area, just a lot of things pointing to the possibilities of that kind of not only atmosphere, but what the ground will be like, what the what the heat will be like, and mm. and the dryness this summer. So, anyway, hope you have nothing like that. Gosh, yeah, I know. Good year to go visit my family in Maine. Sounds yeah. like <laughs> yeah, you got to do it. Just stay up there all summer. Yeah, in Colorado, fires just I think a way of our way of life now up here. Yeah, you Sucks. guys have had wild. Crazy Sucks. fires, yeah. Um, that's all I got. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really it. That hope was like it's the big twenty eleven, honestly, <laughs> and just dropped off. That's and, all I got, and it fell flat. <laughs> that's what we have editing for. So that's right. No, I'm going to keep that long pause in there. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, so double it. Double that pause. <laughs> Copy paste. Uh, I am admiring your uh, mic stand, Jeremy. Yes, it's... I'm on the road currently. I don't. Ha- I have my microphone. Thankfully, I was a good podcast boy, but I do not have my arm or my windscreen. My microphone is in a tissue box right now. So uh, beautiful acoustics, thanks to uh, sustainable bamboo hybrid blend of tissue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so pretty fabulous there. Um, hey, maybe maybe they could sponsor us too. Yeah, there's not a brand name on here. Where's the brand name? The brand name We're literally might be sustainable. I don't know. It's yeah. not Kleenex. <laughs> I don't know. Well, <laughs> Isn't all tissue? Kleenex? We'll take them all, and yeah. we're not we're not picky. Well, let's let's dive in, fellas. Um, 
I'm going to introduce our amazing guests. We're so stoked to have her on the show. Catherine Prosiv is a certified consulting meteorologist. She's a producer for NBC News in New York City, where she works closely with Al Roker and supports the flagship shows of The Today Show and Nightly News with Lester Holt. She is responsible for all weather content that airs nationally across those platforms. Uh, prior to working at NBC News, Catherine spent five years as a meteorologist uh, and weather producer at the Weather Channel. There, she produced across all programming platforms, including the morning and primetime live shows. Catherine is a storm chaser and also a weather writer. You may have seen or read some uh, her byline in various excellent weather blogs, including uh, the Washington Post's Capital Weather Gang and the United States Tornadoes. Welcome to the show, Catherine Prosiv. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like we've all followed each other on Twitter. <laughs> yes like years and now we finally meet in person this is fantastic i know this is great you are a great twitter follow uh by the way so uh what what is your uh twitter handle just off the top of the show uh so it's super original and creative at katherine prosis (laughs) right on (laughs) yes the one the only and there's not a lot of proses out there, so you'll find me. <laughs> Fabulous. But yeah, you're such a great communicator of um, weather knowledge, and you can just really feel uh, your excitement and enthusiasm about weather. Like, it, it comes through the screen completely, and that's what I, I think attracted us to you just via social media. So you do such an awesome job. You're a wonderful, wonderful follow on there. Well, Catherine, something we like to ask every, everybody who comes on the show um, is kind of what their weather story is. We think everybody has a weather story, even if they're not, you know, a meteorologist or a weather producer or a storm chaser. We think everyone has a weather story, right? Something that has affected their life or their family's life. You know, it's, we are in particular find that stuff fascinating and it's not just small talk to us, but especially Catherine, you know, you being a weather professional and a storm chaser, you're in another echelon where the, the weather story maybe is like your, activation story, right? Where you have turned into the human that you are today. Um, So what what just comes to mind, maybe from your past, um, that turns you into the weather fanatic freak nerd that you are today? I love this question. Uh, I think it should be asked everywhere to every meteorologist because I am that what I like to call the one moment meteorologist, where I was going about my life as it was, and then one storm totally rerouted my life. And that happened in Dayton, Ohio. So I was born in Dayton, Ohio. Okay. So we know Western Ohio, it's not traditional tornado alley, but you get storms, you know, if yeah. you're a true tornado, you know, geek, weather geek, you know, that part of Ohio has a huge part in the 1974 super outbreak, mm, Every, yep. you know, of Xenia. Okay. Yeah. So Grew up there. I was that quintessential kid, afraid of thunderstorms, running into the parents' bed, right? Like, now I think back and I'm like, Catherine, how could you be like that, right? (laughs) So, I'm six years old and I'm at a friend's house in Dayton, Ohio. It was like a little birthday party. So, there's a bunch of six-year-olds running around. And I remember, you know, the, the mother comes into the room and she's like, really bad storms are coming. Everybody go home. So, she, we're like, okay, do what the mom says. Oh, wow. Uh, she sends us out into it. Like the storm is here. <laughs> okay. Brilliant. So like clearly she was not a meteorologist. And so we're running through the neighborhood and I remember the sky was green. And at that point I just green sky equals bad. And I'm scared of storms at this time. So we're running, running. And then all of a sudden 
right over our heads goes a pea green funnel cloud. Whoa. So thank wow. God that wasn't a tornado, okay? You know, it would have taken out a bunch of six-year-olds on the street. So obviously everyone's like crying and that makes them run faster. And I'm telling you, and it sounds cheesy, it stopped me in my tracks. I didn't know what I had seen. I just knew it was cool. And I remember it went that way. And I'm, you know, it's over the trees in a second. It was gone. And I, I just was like, what was that? You know, and in a minute, it was like from fear to curiosity. Hmm. So I, I get home finally, and my dad is screaming at me because my twin sister beat me home. And so he's like, something happened to Catherine. And let, can we talk about my twin sister, Lauren, for a second, leaving me out there? Yeah. <laughs> like, What's okay, going on there? Right? So a, a, every woman for herself, clearly. <laughs> so, and, and he's, you know, I'm all wet, you know, because I was out in the storm. And he's like, what were you doing? What were you thinking? Blah, blah, blah. And he says, I don't remember this part. I remember the storm. He said, I pointed outside and was like, I want to do that. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. And he said, I never let it go. And he's so angry. He, his life plan, I was going to be a doctor. I was going to be a lawyer. <laughs> and he said, every time he thought he had me convinced, like, right, like a thunderstorm would come and I'd like close the book and be like, <laughs> oh, meteorologist. So I that was my that. moment. Awesome. Yeah, that was my that's, moment. That's awesome. That's that, a great story. That is really great. That, you, you, Like you said, from fear to curiosity in the instant, that's a beautiful way to describe. I think so many chasers, meteorologists, ha, you know, have felt that. And that's, a, that's something we talk about. That's my story for sure, too. Like, what is that? Like, what mm -hmm. is that thing that, you know, we want to be near the thing that's scaring the crap out of us? That's just... That's <laughs> well, I find that to be so interesting because so many... Uh, meteorologists and storm chasers start with that fear where they're young and then mm -hmm. something clicks and then it's, I'm going to be a storm chaser without using that terminology. It's like, I want, I want to do that. Um, but then I think what, what helps and one of the things that we're really uh, intrigued by and uh, inspired by from you, Catherine, is the need to communicate well for the everyday person because um, the everyday person has that fear. Like the, mm -hmm. they, the everyday person doesn't have that trigger, uh, that switch that's flipped of, oh, I love storms. Most stay in that place of, I have a healthy fear of storms, which is a normal thing to do. And right. so <laughs> uh, what is, what has been kind of the, uh, uh, maybe it's a passion or maybe uh, what the longing to communicate well to those, the everyday person when it comes to severe weather. I think it stems from, at least for me, from multiple places. Um, as storm chasers, we've all seen death and destruction up close and personal. You know, we can all pick those storms and th that can be a whole podcast on its own. But as storm chasers, we're often first on the scene. You know, the storm we just chased is the one that hit that house or hit that town. Yeah. So seeing what ha actually happens, you know, call that a plus for me because it made it real. You know, like we're not just pointing at a radar screen on the TV that you don't see houses on radar. So, you know, for me, it's stemming from if I can just save it's a life or, you know, help someone from getting hurt. That's where it comes from, because I've seen it, you know, and the way that I was trained storm chasing with my mentor, Dave Carroll at Virginia Tech, I started chasing. It was a storm chase field course. Right. And then I ended up leading it and I still go back and help. And he's so good. He's been chasing for decades. And he's like, when you're out there. You know, even if it's an open country tornado, that's what we all hope for. I better not hear any cheering 
any hooting and hollering. I don't want to hear anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, yeah, it may be open country. That's someone's field. Right. That's someone's property. So, you know, I was kind of trained to have that sensitivity from the start. Like, yes, we get excited. Full disclosure, I'm very excited when I see a tornado. <laughs> but you have to remember there's something in the way of that. Okay. Um, and so when it comes to communicating, it's just trying to have that in mind. A lot of meteorologists may be on autopilot. We have a tornado warning. It's you know effective until this time. But, but we have to improve our communication because it's all about getting people to take the action we want them to take. And that's save your life you know, or save your family's life. Um, and that's constantly evolving. I can tell you even how my communication has evolved over the years. And it's not perfect. And it's getting better every day. But it's just, can I save a life today? How am I going to do it? Okay, let's go. Yeah. And so how has that, I mean, you obviously have genuine empathy for the victims of storms and how has that directed your path to, you ended up first at the Weather Channel, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of, can you fill us in on that journey and how it landed you at the Weather Channel and what that experience was like working there? Yes. Uh, so this is another very interesting story. I thought I was going to be in academia my whole life. Mm-hmm. And then day I'm sitting in a basement research lab with no window and I'm like I can't even see the sky if I wanted to see the sky (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be here so I was like okay all right so before I decided to go for a PhD I was like you should get some industry experience I would actually suggest that for anyone who thinks that they want to go full-blown academia so I'm applying for jobs Uh, you know my background is geography uh, geographic information systems in addition to meteorology so I see this position open up for a weather producer at the Weather Channel. And I was like, Haha, that's cool. I've been watching the Weather Channel my whole life. I have never set foot in a TV studio. So I was like, well, I'm not qualified at all for this position. Like I had one bullet point. It was like, knows and loves weather. And I was like, check. <laughs> but it was, it was like a really easy you know, process. And I just like emailed them my resume and moved on with my life. And then like three months later, I'm still job searching. Keep this in mind. So I was writing for the Capital Weather Gang. I was teaching community college. I mean, I was doing like a gazillion different things. And uh, one of the guys from the Weather Channel calls me up and he's like, so your resume is unlike anything we've ever hired. (laughs) So we're going to give you a shot. Like, Like you're different. You have an eclectic background. We're not sure it'll work out, so we'll hire you as <laughs> you know, and then they were like, Can you start in two weeks in a new city? I'm in the DC area. So wow. I'm very opportunistic. I I've learned a lot in my, you know, days. Always say yes to everything unless it's dangerous. But wait a minute, I said yes to storm chasing. So <laughs> there it is. It's all relative. <laughs> Never mind. That doesn't work. But anyway, so I was like, Yes, you know, packed up my SUV, drove down to Atlanta. The first day I saw my apartment was the day I moved in started very cheap as a freelancer and you know kind of the rest was history wow uh, it kind of learned on the job right i didn't even know the difference between a producer and a director <laughs> but you stores. were one <laughs> right I, like here i am a weather producer and i'm like let's see what this means <laughs> oh um, so there was a lot of learning but you know so here i am at the weather channel uh, working with people i've been watching and emulating and idolizing yeah and when i tell you everyone there is just salt of the earth incredible human beings i mean it like i I know tv can have its personalities but the weather channel think about it they're all weather geeks they're all meteorologists you know and so we share that we don't think of ourselves as glamorous tv people we think of ourselves as scientists 
And so to see, you know, Dr. Greg Forbes communicating, right? No emotion, just life-saving information. You know, here's yeah. what you know, and here's what you need to know now. Um, that's where I kind of got my passion and just to see how serious they were and how genuine. And then, you know, when you work at that national level, you know, you're seeing these storms in the South, you're seeing these storms in the Ohio Valley, and you're learning how different people perceive their threat level. It's different compared, you know, people in the Northeast who don't get a lot of tornadoes are going to have a very different response. You have to speak to them differently. Right. People in the Plains. Yep. I'm, I'm learning all of this on the fly. And you, you see in the moment what works, what doesn't work, and you, you'll know it post-storm post analysis, unfortunately, by the you know, fatality counts you see. Mm. So it's like that instant gratification in a bad way. You see how your communication is actually helping or hurting. Wow. That's, yeah, I mean, I mean there's so much there I want to unpack with you. Um, just that journey that you just threw yourself into the trial by fire, <laughs> you know, um, so it, you mentioned something about how the difference between producer and director. And I think, I, I don't know if a lot of people understand that fully of what a producer is. We see it right on the the credits of our favorite TV shows, movies, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. But what do you do as a, as a weather producer? What does that mean day in and day out? So um, that's a great question. And I wish I had asked that before I started my <laughs> <laughs> as a producer. So the way I think of it, the, the short answer for just the quick, anyone does know the difference. Director, those are your technical people. So they're the ones actually at, think of like a big switchboard. And they are punching, you know, camera one, camera two, zoom in here, you know, put the audio levels up or down. You know, they are the ones calling those technical shots. The producers, I like to think of us as the storytellers. Mm. And, you know, it does vary. Weather producer is different from like a, a line producer who will actually write the scripts, you know, that everyone's reading or uh, a line producer will stack the show. So let's put this story here and then we'll put this tower cam and then we'll put this storm chaser footage here. You know, they're actually doing that storytelling flow. Now, a weather producer, we're doing the same thing, but we're producing the actual weather content. So those maps that you see, you know, whether it be Jim Cantori or Al Roker, you know, the weather producers, we're making those. Drawing the fronts, doing the analysis, and then we're helping write the scripts. We're checking them for accuracy. You know, um, just because I was working at the Weather Channel doesn't mean everybody was a meteorologist. You know, they're trained journalists. So they'll come to us and be like, Catherine, can you check the script and just make sure the science is right? Hmm. And then during the show, I'm wearing a headset and I can hear everybody in my ear. You know, so if um, Jim Cantori is out in the field or Stephanie Abrams is out covering a store, I hear everything from the waves battery in the boardwalk. You know, sometimes it makes my ears ring. Right. But so I can communicate. I can tell them, hey, you need to get inside. You know, a dangerous you know, tornado warning is now on your doorstep if they're out there. Uh, so many, many hats as a producer. That's for sure. Wow. That is awesome. My yeah. brain would explode. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, the times I've covered landfalling hurricanes, we've got like five people on the beach and they're all in my ear. And there's been times, you know, I'll work a four or five hour show and I'll take off the headset and everything is ringing, you know, from the wind and the rain. And again, I'm watching radar. So it's like, I'm not just moving the maps and putting all that. I'm like, you need to get inside. You know, here comes the eye wall, Right get inside because the wind is about to roar. They were their eyes and ears out there, which is crazy. Um, and then, you know, now one of my jobs is, which 
you want to talk about pressure, sending the correspondents or the reporters out into it. Mm. I'm the one they go to to be like, hey, where should we put them? Wow. Intentionally directing them into danger, right? Wow. Uh, that's very stressful, but that also means that I, you know, I'm not sleeping when they're out there because I've got an eye at all times to tell them to get inside. I bet. Gosh, I did not realize that that was <laughs> part of the job. That's, <laughs> yeah, you said stressful. I can imagine. That's yeah. Unbelievable. And, and let me tell you, you know, there's different levels of stress. Safety is number one. Okay. You know, obviously, but there's the other stress of, you know, when shows go on the air and you tell them it's going to be snowing somewhere. It'd be snowing at 7 p.m. Yeah. sharp. <laughs> yeah, there's, okay. there's some pressure involved there, <laughs> you know? I can only imagine. So, you know, that may not have that danger aspect, but it's a different kind of danger because that <laughs> producer is going to be breathing down your neck if it's not snowing. <laughs> well, I remember uh, not too long ago, there was that huge snowstorm in Colorado, which sounds a little redundant, but um, in the Denver area. And yeah. Jeremy, who lives... Uh, in Longmont, just north of Denver, um, mm-hmm. was making mention how there were so many people kind of getting after the meteorologist saying, where's the snow? And they're like, the event doesn't start till tomorrow, you know, yes. and so yes. much, uh, so many particularities that people are looking for and expecting. I can only imagine the pressure with that. Yes. You know, and that that's back to your communication angle, Jeff, of how do you communicate uncertainty and, you know, difficulties in predicting the future to non-meteorologists. It's the hardest part of my job. Mm. Oh, my gosh. I cannot even imagine, especially, obviously, with the ubiquity of social media and just yes. everyone has a voice now. Everyone's opinion <laughs> matters, right? There's good and bad to that for sure. But just I cannot imagine what it's like to be a meteorologist or a producer uh, in that age, too. How do you how do you cope with that how do you deal with that how do you kind of stay sane i have a philosophy that you kill them with knowledge or kindness Mm. and so that's how i do it or you just ignore them okay (laughs) that's it that's it i don't lose any sleep over nasty comments and it's it's easier said than done for many but i'm lucky well speaking of communication and communicating weather um we were curious uh the fellas we were talking we've been talking the last couple days about you and kind of your work at the weather channel and the era that you were there um did you have any role in the development of the really incredible immersive mixed reality segments that they do there oh that's a great question oh yes and no okay so while i didn't build that those were for way smarter than me um i was the one who would run it so like as soon as that anchor walked out and i would be the one who had to trigger it and stressful to an extent like it sounds easy i'll just hit the space bar okay but exciting and brand new shiny things don't always work the first (laughs) so we we had a lot of false alarms and you know a lot of kind of um oops that didn't work. And why didn't it work? Right. And a lot of what we call tap dancing when something doesn't work on the air, it's like, just start tap dancing. <laughs> and then right as I was starting to kind of, I was about, was I about to leave was when the real fancy stuff. Now that's different. I was talking augmented reality. This is called IMR. You said it immersive reality. That stuff is, I mean, they use like the type, the same types of software you use to build like games, high level, you know, like games, um i'm not a gamer <laughs> uh, i don't know like halo is probably one that you sure. know 
yeah. you know, help you kind of get your bearings. That's the same software. It's called Unreal Engine. Wow. And it's now being used for these like super cool everywhere, you know, weather graphics. And that stuff is often pre-taped. So whereas that other stuff was live and you'd cross your fingers and be like, yay, we did it live. That one's a little bit more involved where, you know, most of it's, I don't want to say all of it because I haven't been there. So maybe some of it's done live, but most of it is taped because it's so high end. It requires so many people. It's full production start to finish. It's, am- oh, it's wow. amazing. Um, just amazing technology. And yeah, what do you think from just like a weather production, weather kind of, you know, putting putting a weather report out there from that philosophy and that mindset, where does that sort of tech fit into how people perceive a weather report or how you're planning and how you're thinking, you know, you've talked about each of these regions perceive weather in a different way. Kind of what does like that next level of visual tech mean to people in your viewing areas? I think it's huge. And I think more people, I get, it's very expensive, you know, and you need a lot of bodies to execute it. More people need to do it because, you know, even in my short term of working in TV, I've seen the evolution of, of how we tell the weather story. First, for decades, it was green screen, right? Everybody knows green screen. Then while I was at the Weather Channel, we were getting away from green screen and more to monitors. Mm-hmm. You, you, little, you, there's more movement with monitors. You can make them a little bit more interactive. Okay. And, you know, so that was like next, then it was the 3d stuff, like the augmented reality, but this immersive stuff is what we need to do more of because it's putting the people in it. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's fake, but we can all agree. It looks pretty darn real. Yeah. So you can tell people until you're blue in the face, you know, there's going to be a 12 foot storm surge and they're Mm -hmm. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I live at the beach. I understand tides. And you're like, no, you don't. So you show them that IMR storm surge with the cars, the pieces of buildings floating. And you know, another lesson I've learned over the years when it comes to visuals to this point, you also have to assume people are watching without the sound on. Because, you know, when we would think about the Weather Channel, you know, you go into hotel lobbies, it's on car dealerships, but the sound isn't on. Right. So unless like some, you know, if they can't hear it, then how are you getting the message across? And, you know, just a green screen graphic might not be getting that, get that job done, but something where someone's seeing the water level rise and stuff going around and, and destroying things, you don't need any explanation for that. Yeah, that's something we talk about a lot of, especially being around tornadoes and the destruction that those things can cause and, you know, hurricanes mm-hmm. and storm surge as well, right? The human brain, there's something about it, or maybe we're just not around it enough. And that's a good thing <clears throat> generally as a population, but our brain just for some reason can't necessarily conceptualize the magnitude, the scope, like that, that a house could be shifted in an instant, you know, and, and shredded right. like a vacuum canister, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, those visuals are are just like a quantum leap in helping people's minds be able you to can measure it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you can measure the the effectiveness of it all because those videos went viral. I yes. mean, it's effective because you can see how many people watch it. Millions and millions of views, especially I remember, was it the storm surge one was one of the mm-hmm. first ones. And I remember everyone I knew was posting it on my Facebook. <laughs> like, have you seen this? And it was incredible. And it, and it did. It shook people who were especially in the path of the hurricanes. Yes. Yep, exactly. I think that's one of the things that uh, for us, we consider when we're storm chasing, we, we also, tell me if this is a word or not, guys, uh, documentarians. Does that sound yeah. right? 
Nailed it. Works for me. I feel remarkably smart. Um, <laughs> but to, to document what we're seeing, because by and large, we're wanting people to experience and feel and not just see, but feel what we're feeling to, to hear the wind, to actually experience what, you know, baseball hail feels like, or sounds like on a car or a windshield when it breaks. So um, I think in, in our own way, we're, we're trying to figure out how not only to chase, but to bring about that story and that narrative uh, in the same way. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff is especially self-sacrificial in that way when it comes to the hail. <laughs> he has a hard head. $207 for a new windshield. I got it down. Oh boy. You know the menu. Yeah. 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 Well, Catherine, I, I believe you recently wrote an article on Tornado Alley and mm-hmm. um, kind of the shifting amorphous thing that that is, or at least in people's minds, right? You know, of what whether... Tornado Alley, you know, is a thing or is not a thing. Uh, I would love to hear just about kind of the the idea behind that that article, and then also kind of what are some other sort of I don't know, quote unquote, myths or old wives' tales or something that you know surrounding weather that you just kind of hear a lot that are stuck in people's minds. Well, great question. You clearly did your homework on uh, my background and kind of interests because. Um, you know, my master's degree, but the thesis I did was debunking the myth that tornadoes don't happen in mountains. A lot of people think that mountains, you know, will protect you river. Tornadoes can't cross rivers. I'm like, why would you think that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my, my thesis was, I actually, what was funny, I get up in front of like my whole college. It was the most stressful thing ever. And I have to like argue my point. And I got roasted because- I'm doing it all the geographers, right? And it, they're just like, but you'll have no, you'll have no case studies. You'll have no sample size because tornadoes don't happen in mountains. And I, and I was like, exactly what I'm trying to disprove. So I got a lot of pushback. Hmm. What happens like four months later, April, 2011, the super outbreak where not only did tornadoes cross the mountains, they crossed them at night. Yeah. Wow. So there I basically correlated, you know, I took terrain profiles and mapped the velocity strength. I mean, I hand pointed those using like, you know, radar data and you saw, you know, terrain, terrain, and then that boom, there's a drop off. So you kind of fall down a ridge and the storm strengthen hmm. as it went over ridges. It's called vorticity stretching. It's the same principle of you have an ice skater with the arms out and they're spinning slow and then they tuck their arms in and all of a sudden they spin faster. So that's what's happening at these extreme micro scale levels of tornadoes within the mountains where mountains can enhance tornado genesis. You may not see them. Radar beams are blocked in the mountains, so you may not pick it up. Um, there's a lot of national forests, a lot of trees where, you know, it's rural. So you damage may not even ever be reported. So it, it's underreported, if anything. So anyway, that's, you know, tornadoes and unusual environments. That's my jam. <laughs> And then Tornado Alley, you know, I mentioned I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. That's not traditional Tornado Alley, if you Google it. However, you know, I kind of grew up there. I, and, and then once I moved to Washington, D.C., and you get all the tropical remnants, you know, when Hurricane Ivan in 2004 made it up here, it was Virginia's greatest tornado outbreak on record. Yeah. And, you know, like a tornado almost took out Dulles Airport, which is like five miles down where my parents live. And so here we're in the Washington, D.C. area, and these tornadoes are crossing I-95. So that's kind of 
how I've lived. And then I go out to traditional Tornado Alley, chase out there. But then I also lived in Atlanta. And you want to talk about the South, deep South, Gulf Coast states, an area that is not talked about enough when it comes to tornadoes. That That is so far outside traditional Tornado Alley. People yeah. are like, huh? When you yeah. bring it up, more people die in the, in the South and Southeast than traditional Tornado Alley. You have just as many tornadoes and most of them happen at night. Yep. So it's just the vulnerability there. You want to talk about that. And people are surprised every year when we have a major outbreak of tornadoes. More needs to be done to get that awareness out. Yeah. And you mentioned a few elements of maybe why these myths persist, right? More eyeballs in certain regions, you know, different media, maybe, you know, we've got a lot of famous movies about a lot of Midwestern tornadoes, right? Um, <laughs> yes. What else do you think contributes to just people's perceptions of weather, you know, incorrect perceptions? You know, it's all about that communication. You know, you nailed it. And I was thinking about it ahead of this podcast because, you know, I take, I almost take it personally when a lot of people get hurt in outbreaks, really any weather, you know, I'm on a national scope, right? So it's like my audience is big and I can reach everybody and I want them all to survive. Um, so the perception though it, it comes down to us. And I'm not saying we're doing a bad job. You know, I already mentioned we're constantly evolving. But when I'm dealing at the national level, a lot of times I'm fighting, how do I cover a story that is, you know, is it affecting a lot of people or little people? Because when we're talking about impact, people stories, you know, you would think it would be hard for me to push to cover a tornado alley, tornado outbreak. Because it's in the middle, I don't want to say in the middle of nowhere, again, like people's homes, property, but not, you know, not as much real estate is at risk to be impacted by a tornado. But then, like, it'll get more press and more um, attention than a southern tornado outbreak, which is against what I'm thinking would work as a producer because more people live there. Yeah. I find that to be really interesting uh, when it comes to storm chasing, because um, when you when you look at articles or movies or any books um, on storms and tornadoes, it's always this picturesque tornado, no matter uh, what it looks like somewhere in the plains. But um, in the southern states, the, I, I think you see all these storm chasers, which is such difficult terrain. To yes. Jason. In fact, we we've not completely said we won't, but it is it's rare that we'll go in and chase in the south because the trees and just the navigating of roads is so difficult. But between drone footage and mm -hmm. some of these guys who are just capturing um, these men and women who are capturing some amazing uh, views of tornadoes in the south, it feels like that would enhance people's awareness of the south. But I just wonder how much documenting storms has a part to play in that uh, awareness. It helps a lot, you know, and, and this is producer Catherine speaking, not storm chaser Catherine speaking, but video is king, you know? So it's like, it used to be photography, right? Not anymore. The, the better the video, first of all, the better the chances of it making on air, you know, like we're not going to air something that doesn't look good. But like some of the drone footage I saw from last week, you know, that shows, you know, more of the characteristic south tornadoes you know wide wedges low cloud bases mm -hmm. you know they're just ugly they are not 
backlit, beautiful both <laughs> pipes you see in the Great Plains. They're just not. Um, that was some of the best I've ever seen. And it's thanks to drone technology, which is the up and coming. You know, I've chased with the the Sirens Project, if you uh, see it on Twitter, and like they have all these different sized drones and they're putting weather sensors on it. They're doing everything they can to try and improve one, you know, just kind of observations. And two, that video component. Uh, it also takes the danger level a little bit off of us, you know, because I know it's like get the money shot, the closer the better. Um, but you're putting yourself in danger as well. Yeah. And you know, from the producer standpoint, part of at least how I see it is social responsibility. So you know, if I have a choice, I'm not going to show video from a chaser who probably made a bad move. Mm. It's irresponsible because you know I've seen children and kids. So I talk to kids all the time. Absorb that. Like, yeah, I want to, I want to go out there and get my windshield smashed. And I'm like, no, no. you know, like, you know, no, you don't. Right. Um, so I might just from a social responsibility standpoint, pick a video, maybe it's a drone or something showing maybe safer, but you know, safer distance or whatever, um, over the other, um, just personally. That's good. That's really, really good yeah. to hear. And I think more, more people who are thinking about chasing you know it's so easy to just you know have radar scope on your phone and your camera on your phone and just go out which uh, which i don't want to discourage anyone ever from doing that but i think the point you just made is it's just like it's 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 not worth it you know to to pursue that in a, in a dangerous way to just to get a shot you know like that's that's right yeah absolutely mm -mm. Well, Catherine Prosev, thank you so much for joining us on the Tornado Trackers podcast. It's so fun to finally get to meet you and talk to you. And, oh, man, I, I mean, I feel like I speak for the fellas when, you know, I, I say that, you know, we could talk to you for, for, for hours and hours and hours. So we will love, love, love to have you back. Um, uh, you mentioned it before on the sh uh, a little bit earlier, but where is a good, some good places on the web that, you know, so people can find you and your work? Oh, uh, so Twitter is probably the best, you know, how I was talking about sticking to brand. I'm like all weather there all the time. So follow me at Catherine Brosive. Um, and then, you know, I'm on Instagram. I'm everywhere. But, you know, on Instagram, I do kind of branch out. You'll see a little bit more of kind of like the, we'll call it the behind the scenes, Catherine. I feel like I've given you a lot of branded Catherines in a very... <laughs> That's good. But anyway, behind the scenes, Catherine. So, you know, it's, you'll see a little bit like my twin sister, you know, obviously I've talked about her a lot, but we're very close. We're living together in this crazy pandemic world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I play guitar. So you'll see kind of, I'll post some guitar videos, huge Metallica fan. Nice. Awesome. Little shout out there. Yeah. Um, I've never gotten them to like any of my videos, but I'll get over oh, it. They will. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So Instagram, same deal at Catherine Prosiv. Again, I'm not creative, apparently. Um, so, yeah, those are probably the two best places. And reach out. I Again, you know, it's like I have a, a decent Twitter following, but I got there by responding to people. Mm. I, I always want to hear from you. I'll always say hi. If you have a question, I, I try to answer everybody every day. So I'd love to hear from you. Fabulous. Well, we're going to post all those links in the show notes. Go check those out. Uh, Catherine's a wonderful communicator and writer, obviously. Thank you so much for joining us on the Tornado Trackers podcast. You can find us everywhere on the web at Tornado Trackers. Um, we have a huge library of storm chasing videos on youtube.com slash tornado trackers. Go subscribe to us there. Um, some amazing stuff on there that Gabe and Jeff have primarily shot. They're talented artists. Um, but yeah, we will catch you in a couple weeks. See ya. See ya.